Awesome. Well, hey, good morning, church, and welcome to Harvest. If you're a first-time guest, I just want to say thank you so much for being here. Um, time is one of uh, the greatest treasures on earth, and we just want to say thank you for taking time out of your busy week, out of your weekend, um, to be with us this morning, and we are really thankful for that. Uh, my name is Trey. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Harvest, and I first off want to say I apologize uh, for my voice this morning. Um, I'm a little bit congested, like, Trey, take care of yourself. I try, but it just happened, um, and so I apologize up front for how I sound, um, but we're going to roll with it anyways. We've been in a collection of talks uh, starting last week called The Five, and what we've been doing is our church has five core values that you can find on our website. Um, you can find whenever you come to Starting Point. Um, we have five core values that we believe if you would take these five core values and practice them in your own daily lives, that you could become everything that God desires for you to be, he created you to be, and that you could have such an impact in your home, in your community, and in the world. And so last week we looked at our first value, which was share Jesus. And you can find all of our messages from last week to um, messages way back when on our podcast or Spotify account. You just look up Harvest HSC. What does HSC stand for? Harmony St. Cloud. Uh, it's not that really um, mind-blowing of a truth, but it's Harvest HSC, and I would love uh, for you to go there if you want to go and listen to some of our messages. Have any of you ever been asked the question, what do you want? What do you want? Sometimes we ask this question in regards to, like, where are we going out to eat? Like, hey, babe, what do you want tonight? Well, I don't, I don't, I'm not really, I don't have a preference. All right, do you want Chipotle? I'm not feeling Chipotle. All right, do you want Chick-fil-A? Well, I'm not really feeling Chick-fil-A. All right, so what do you want? Well, I don't care, babe, you pick. How about Culver's? I'm not feeling Culver's. All right, like, that's fine. How about we go to, and then five in, names later, it's no-go, and then you just end up going to get a chicken tender pub sub. It is what it is. But um, what do you want? And outside of the realm of, like, what do you want to eat or anything like that, like, what if somebody asked you out of anything in the world that could possibly come true, you don't have to pay for it, it is expense-free to you. What do you want? What do you want? The majority of us would answer the question with something along, along these lines, right? Like, I want uh, to be rich. I want to have power. I want to be in charge. I want a million dollars. I want, I want a bigger home. I want a nicer car. I want, and then you just... Fill in the blank. I want to be attractive. I don't know what your fill in the blank would be, um, but like almost all of them uh, would be something along those lines. You ever have those moments where, like, ten years later, you still are like up late at night just thinking about the most cringeworthy moments of your lifetime? Anybody have those moments? Uh, my freshman year of college, I was in a room. Um, Sitting at the, at the, I was in this uh, conference room meeting, and it was uh, some of um, the Bible uh, majors at this colleges at this college, and we were meeting with the pastor, and he just walked around the room, was like, "What do you want? Like, when when you leave from this college, like, what do you want?" 
And some people were saying, like, well, I want to be a youth pastor. I want to have a full-time job. I want to be this. I want to be that. And he got to me, and I was just in that mode of, like, I'm an athlete, or at least I try to be. Um, like, and I just said, I want to be the best. And they were like, the best that was, like, just the best. I had that wild look in my eye. I was like, I just want to be the best. My eyes twitching. He was like, well, the best at what? I was like, the best, pastor. The best. And then he quickly moved on from me and went to somebody with a little bit more sense. But I just remember looking back at that moment thinking, like, those guys probably thought I was such an idiot. And he probably thought I was such an idiot. But I just looked at it and was like, I want to be the best. Like, just crazy. And eventually, you know, God humbled me and I just, you know, settled for subpar. No, I'm just kidding. I, I wanted to be the best. And that was a moment where I answered. I was like, that is something that I want to be is whatever I do in life, I want to be the best. And I think if we're honest, if someone were to ask you, what do you want? It would be something that would elevate you from where you are to where you want to be. A desired or should I even say a dream worthy circumstance or place in life. Why? Because those things make us feel as if we have made it. Like, I've made it if I reach this position. I've made it if I drive this car. I've made it if I have this amount of money in the bank. I've made it if I have this amount of bedrooms and baths in my house. I've made it, you insert the blank, because those things feel like, make us feel like we've made it, and we want to elevate our current circumstances again from where they are to whatever we think is ideal or, again, beyond dreamworthy. It is our innate human desire to rise above people or circumstances. And we've seen this since the beginning. In the book of Genesis, how does Satan tempt Adam and Eve? He says, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely be greater than God. And what do Adam and Eve do? Be greater than God. <sighs> We're in. And they eat of the fruit, and it leads to their downfall. But who doesn't want to be the goat, right? Who doesn't want to be the greatest of all time? And being great has its, per has its perks, right? You're respected. You have influence. People serve you. They cater to you. People work for you. You have power. You have status. Like, it would be great to be the greatest because all these things seem to come with it. But here's the thing. This is a never-ending ladder. There is always someone with more and greater. There is always someone who has more or greater. And when someone is more or greater than we are and has more or greater than we are, we want more and greater than them. And then it just becomes who can step on who to get to more or greater. So again, I ask you, what do you want? What do you want? What if God... The creator of all things were to ask you, what do you want? What do you want to be? What do you want to have? Like genuinely, what do you want? You may say, well, what I want is a good thing. I want to be a better parent. I want to be a better spouse. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better coworker. I want to be a better person. I just want to be better at what I'm doing. I mean, it's like, that's not a bad request. I'm here to tell you that those, that's not a bad thing to want. And in fact, many of those things are good. But what if I told you there was a way to be great at almost all of those things? Be a great parent, to be a great friend, 
to be a great coworker, to be a great spouse? What if I were to tell you that there is a secret formula to being great at all of those things? In the book of Mark, which is where we're going to land this morning, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus has been traveling, he's been teaching, and if you have your Bibles, you can flip to Mark chapter 10. If you have your phone, swipe there. If not, it'll be on the Sky Bibles for convenience. But Mark chapter 10, um, Jesus has been going all over the country. He's been teaching in their worship places. He has been um, teaching in homes. He has, uh, you know, uh, put himself on the side of cliffs to teach to large masses. But in this moment in Mark chapter 10, we have this private moment between Jesus and and his disciples. And it's not often we get these moments where Jesus is not speaking publicly, but in fact just to a couple of individuals. And in this moment, this is what we have. Jesus is teaching his disciples in such an intimate and in an isolated way. And, 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 I, and I think that this passage will help us see how do we become great? How do we become a great parent, spouse, friend, co-worker, an infinite number of things. How do we become a great person? How do we become great? Well, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35, it says this, and then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Jesus, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. First of all, wow, <laughs> bold. Imagine you just walking up to Jesus with a friend going, hey, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we want. Now, if I'm Jesus, if I'm wearing a glove, I'm doing one of those, you know, like, whoosh, like backhanded things. I'm like, who do you think you are? But this is Jesus' response. He says, what do you want from me? He asked. Well, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. They sang, let us sit at your right hand and at your left hand whenever we one day, whenever you establish your new kingdom. Let us, let us be your second in command whenever you make all things new. You don't know what you're asking, we're in verse 38, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Well, we can, they answered. Jesus said, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom, have, whom they have been prepared for. When the ten heard, when the other disciples heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They became frustrated or irritated with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know those who, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." We start off this story and they go, we want you to do whatever we, we want you to do for us, whatever we want. Well, what do you want? When you establish and make all things new, we want to be second in command, just us two. We want that power. We want that authority. We want that status. We want that influence. We want that position. And Jesus goes, I can't give that to you. 
That is not for you. Are you, can, you, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink from? Can you be baptized with what I'm about to be baptized with? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, will you die like I die? Will you die like I die? Will you give up your life the way that I'm about to give up my life? And they say, we can. And in fact, these two disciples are martyred for preaching the gospel. So they were correct of like, we can. And Jesus says, fine, you will then. You will live a life that preaches the gospel and it will cost you and you will drink the cup that which I drink from, meaning you will die like I have died. You will be martyred for your faith. But here's what I do want to tell you. That the kings and the lords of the Gentiles, they do nothing but lord over people. They do nothing but seize their power and do everything to maintain their power. But I'm here to tell you that in the kingdom of heaven, For Jesus followers, if you're in here and you say, I follow Jesus, there is a new definition of being great. And this definition of being great is not having money in your account. It's not having power in your community. It's not having influence in your your, your workspace. It's It's not having some status amongst your friends. To be great is to be a servant. There is this new biblical way of being great that Jesus introduces here in Mark chapter 10. So if you don't take anything away from the message today, understand this and take this away. If you have been saved by God, meaning he has redeemed your soul, you are his, he has bought you and you have put your faith in him and your eternity has changed because of him. If you have been saved by God, then you have been called by God to serve God and people. If you have been saved, you have been called to serve. If you have been saved, you have called, been called to be a servant. Why? Because we model our lives after Jesus. This gospel is a message that Jesus served us. And now in return, we serve him and model a life after him in which he has served. The greatest thing we could do Or become, if somebody were to ask you, if God were to ask you, what do you want? The greatest answer we could give is, I want to be a servant. I want to be a great servant to you and to people. That could be the greatest thing we could ever answer when God asks us that question. What do you want? When you go to me in prayer, what do you want? Well, God, I I really am praying for this, I am praying for that. I'm here to, those aren't bad prayers, but the greatest thing you could pray that God will let you to become is to be a servant. You want to be great? Be a servant. What do servants look like? How do I serve God and people? Well, Jesus models this statement right after he tells his disciples this. He models this statement with this, with this beautiful story and, and starting in verse 46. But what does a servant do? Mark 10, verse 45, it says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What does a servant do? Servants submit. Servants submit. Submit is a word that we have strayed from in culture, and now more recently I feel and I hear in churches. We don't like this word submit, do we? It, it gives the, the, the connotation that somebody is superior and that the other person submitting is inferior. 
And we are all about in our culture, and I'm for this, that everybody is equal, right? And so because we want everybody to think that everybody's equal, and which we are, and we want everybody to behave like everybody's equal, and we want everybody to live and, and act like everybody's equal, this word submit has kind of become one of those harsh words that we don't love. But not only does it stop with humanity, I fear that it has also affected our relationship with God to where we don't want to submit to God. God is great and he saved my soul, but God's not better than me, right? God is great and he is wise and he is amazing, but he's not, he's not greater than me, is he? To submit to him would, do me to, for, would require for me to acknowledge that he is greater, that he is better, that he is wiser, and that he is smarter. To submit, I don't know. I don't know about that. I was at uh, lunch um, a while ago, a couple years ago, with a buddy of mine, and he was just talking about how he feels like God is just, he's like, I just feel like I want God to break me. <laughs> and, I, and I think it's funny because I hear so many Christians just say, like, God just needs to wreck me, <laughs> that God needs to break me. And I'm like, you sound like you're in for, like, like a rude awakening, like God's about to like just break your arm and like just put you in like a like a T Nelson, like and just put you in a headlock and just like pound the crap out of you until you like submit to whatever He wants you to look like. And I just had to look at him like, here's what I think submitting looks like. Here's what I think breaking looks like in Christianity and, and according to Scripture. I have number one, I have a, a real fear of horses. I. I, I have been very public about this. I got thrown off on one at a very young age. Horses are just beasts. If you ever stand next to one, you're like, at any given moment, one kick could kill me. Um, I try to kick this horse. It doesn't move. He kicks me. My organs are rearranged. Like, I, I don't understand, but I just, I have a fear of horses. But here's one thing I do know about horses. When we talk about breaking horses, we don't talk about going up them and destroying them, breaking their legs. We don't, talk, we don't go up to horses and talk about completely destroying their lives when we talk about breaking a horse. When we talk about breaking a horse, we talk about getting a horse to trust us. We talk about, when we say the horse is broken, it doesn't mean like we killed it. When we talk about breaking a horse, it means like it listens to me. It trusts me. When I take the reins of the horse, it will go where I lead it. And to me, that's what it means to submit it means that we have learned to trust God. And when God is at the reins, he is leading us and guiding us. And we aren't fighting it. We're not saying, no, 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 I want to go this way. Whenever God is telling us to go this way. To learn to be a servant, number one, we need to learn to submit that whenever God steers our lives going this direction, there is no tug, there is no pull, there is no tension point. There is just only absolutely. When God tells us to halt, we halt. When God tells us to go, we go. When God tells us to rest, we rest. When God puts us uh, in a stable and God puts us in this limited space for a season, we're like, I was designed for more. And God is saying, but for now, I need you here because you need to rest for the journey that's about to happen. We trust him and we say, okay, I trust you. To serve means to submit. Because here we have Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who said, let there be light, and billions of galaxies came into existence. And he is saying, I did not come to earth to, to be served. I didn't come for you to serve me. Jesus is saying, I came to earth to serve you. 
if you want to be great, you will model after me and you will serve others. Meaning this, you were not put on this earth to be served. You were put on this earth to serve. And the first step to being a servant is to submit. The second step, I think, to learning to be a servant is this, and we see it in the story. Servants see and hear the hurting amongst the many. Servants see and hear the hurting amongst the many. In Mark chapter 10, again, right after Jesus makes this statement, we see in verse 46, then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, sorry, Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging was sitting by the roadside. Jesus sees this blind man. It's, it's, it's canonized in scripture that as they were leaving, they saw this blind man. This blind man was made known to them. And out of all the people that Jesus could have interacted with, they, they, they focus in on this one person that is struggling. How many people do we pass or overlook because we think we are greater than who did Jesus spend time with? Who did he help? Who did he notice? There are a lot of hurts beyond physically. I'm talking about hurts spiritually, emotionally, and mentally in our, in our homes, in our communities, in our church, in our, in our workspace. I mean, do we even see them? Do we ask about them? How often do you think that you've sat at dinner with hurting people and you've been blind to it? The closer we get to Jesus and the more we become like a servant, the closer we get to Jesus the clearer we see those in need of his help. The more my life begins to look like a servant, begins to more, be modeled more like Jesus, the more I become aware of those hurting around me. Do you think that everybody in your circle is doing okay? If you think that, I'm here to tell you, you are mistaken. We are all struggling in some capacity. And to be a servant to have a life that looks like Jesus and a life of a servant is to recognize when those are hurting. It's to recognize and to see the few that are hurting amongst the many. To recognize it and to see it. Because the, the closer we are to Jesus, the clearer we see those in need of his help. Number three, this is what a servant looks like. Servants do whatever it takes to get the gospel to people. Servants will do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. We continue on in the story. There's this blind man and and it goes like this. When he heard about that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing, throwing, a, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What, what's, what's awesome about the story is Jesus, puts into Jesus helps his disciples put into practice the attitude of a servant. I don't know if you know this about blind people, but they can't see. And so when Jesus, Jesus from a distance goes, hey, come here. It, turned, it can turn into a game of Marco Polo really quick. But that's not what happened. He told his disciples, bring him to me. 
And I don't know of a clearer picture of what it looks like to be a servant than what happens, the, a, a, an evangelistic servant, than this story right here. Of Jesus sees the hurting. And the more we look like Jesus, the more we see the hurting. And this call and this command is not just a one-time command. This is an eternal command until one day he comes and takes us all home. And this command is, you see the hurting? You see those in need? Bring them to me. Bring them to me. Why? You're not the healer. You're not the savior. You're not the redeemer. You are the humble servant messenger who Jesus is called to say, bring them to me. And these disciples had to go and grab the blind man and walk, them, walk him to Jesus. It required action. It required getting, going from where they were going to make, a, to, make, to make a pivot and to go help somebody. Because Jesus is at the reins and he said, hey, look in this direction and go get him and bring him to me. And because they were submitted and because they saw the need like Jesus saw the need, they were saying, whatever it takes to get this guy to Jesus, let's do it. So they said, cheer up. This is going to be a good day for you. You're about to be healed. Which, by the way, is, shouldn't that be our attitude about evangelism? How often do we think of evangelism of the old school? We used to, I don't know what you guys, if you grew up in church, if you have a church background, I don't know if your church did this or not, but we would go on visitation on Saturday nights. We would load buses and we would go door to door and knock on doors and we, the person would answer the door and be like, hello? And we'd be like, hello, if you were to die today, where would you go? Uh, heaven or hell? You choose! And it would turn into this turn or burn type situation where it wasn't, we elevate the goodness of God, we just elevate the horrificness of hell. But I love the disciples' attitude in this story, and this should be our attitude whenever we share Jesus. This should be our attitude whenever we speak to others about the greatness of our God, of cheer up. Oh, today's going to be a good day for you. Today's going to be amazing. Why? Because I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Today's going to be great. I have the greatest news in the world that he's calling your name. Oh, I have some good news for you. My God puts you on my heart. And he wants to do something incredible in your life. These disciples had to go grab this blind man and take him to Jesus who was present. They didn't say he accepted Jesus. They knew the need. Jesus could heal the hurt and they brought him to him. I don't know of a clearer picture of evangelism like I already said. When's the last time you brought somebody to Jesus? I'm not talking about to church. And we are all for inviting people to church. Good for you. Great. If you were here because somebody invited you, awesome. But you're not called to be church bringers. You're called to be evangelists. It's not my job to lead your friends to Jesus. I'm not in your workspace. I'm not in your, I'm not in your, your friend group. When was the last time you personally brought somebody to Jesus? You were the messenger. If it's been a while, I'm, here to, I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm here to challenge you. It's what you've been called to do. And this could be the greatest way you could serve anybody. It's by bringing them to Jesus. My last and my final thought is this. What else does a servant do? 
Well, we continue on in the story, verses 51 and 52. He says this. What do you, again, he asks, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? Blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Jesus says, go. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Number four, servants see the need and meet the need. Servants see the need and meet the need. How often do we get in this mindset or this rut of, hey man, how you doing? Man, it's been a rough week. Um, This happened, that happened. I don't know what we're going to do. Oh man, that sucks. Praying for you. Oh, I'm fully capable of helping you. I'm fully capable of leaving my house right now to come and help you. But I'll just send you a, a prayer hands emoji and just say, bless, God bless you. Oh, I'm fully capable of driving to the hospital to be with you and to help comfort you and to pray over your loved one. But uh, that would require me to get ready and you know, figure out what to do with the kids. And I just... I'm going to tell you, do something. Do something. Help somebody. If you, don't, if you don't like the brand Nike, at least take away their slogan. Just do it. Do something. We are called to do. The church is called to do more than the rest of the world. We have a godly conviction to do more where we can, when we can, and however we can. Individually, great. Or collectively, Great, we are called to do more. When the rest of the world feels no conviction to help people in need, well, you got yourself there, you can get yourself out. Well, you worked your way into this pit, you need to use that same shovel to dig your way out. That's not what God has called us to preach and do. What God has called us to do is if you see somebody in a pit, you don't walk by and go, oh, figure it out, man. You walk by and you get on, you get on your stomach, you get dirty and you put your hand down and you say, I'll help you out whatever way I can. I'll do whatever it takes to help you. How many doors would that open if people say, well, they don't just preach that God is here to help us. They actually are his hands and feet in the real world. I don't believe what so-and-so believes, but here's what I do know, that they will do anything for anybody. And I respect that. A really relevant story. Last night, I was starting up my car, leaving Publix, God's gift to creation. And um, I started up my car, and it, had, it started weird. And when I say it started weird, I'm not a car guy in the slightest. I know I've talked about this before. My dad was a pastor. I have, I have no mechanical skills. Um, I, uh, I started the car, and my car just went, and it finally started. I was like, well, that's weird. Oh, well, put it in reverse, pulled out. I'm driving, and I, um, I'm, I'm making a U-turn. I, I pull out of Publix. I make a ride. I'm on Narcusi. I'm making this U-turn at the Publix to, to, to come home to Harmony. And... Um, as I'm stopping at the light, my car like, won't just like, stop. It's like, like, like jumping, and this cloud of smoke seems to just engulf outside of my car. And I'm like, yo. 
is that Lauren back there with her e-cigarette again? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't know what was happening. I was like, what is that? And I was like, again, I ignore it. So I put my foot on the accelerator, and it starts to, to go, and it seems like it's like slipping. And as I'm going, like a cloud of smoke shoots out the exhaust, and I'm like, I feel like one of those guys with like a diesel truck now. I'm like, this is cool. But I have a Hyundai Sonata. Like, this is, shouldn't be happening, right? So I make the U-turn, and as I am getting in the turn lane to turn on 192, my car turns off. I'm like, oh, crap. So I, I turn it back on again, and I eventually start going, and I'm hitting 40 miles an hour on 192, coming home. Great. I'm excited. I'm on the phone with Lauren. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I have uh, my wife. Uh, we're expect expecting our second son in about a month, and... Uh, my wife texted me, she's like, I want this ice cream bar, I want this yogurt, like, that's what she was craving that night, and she's in, that's, I, I'm calling her, she's like, okay, just please make it home, I want my ice cream to melt, and I was like, okay, babe, whatever it takes, like, I'm, I'm here, I hope, just stay on the phone in case I blow up, uh, <laughs> and my car stops, so I pull off into the turn lane, and I'm just thinking, like, what do I do, and so I'm thinking, like, a tow service is going to charge me an arm and a leg for an emergency tow. I can't just leave it here. I could leave it here, but uh, I don't want to do that. So I end up calling Mikey, Mikey Klaus. And um, I called Mikey, and I'm like, yo, bro, what you doing? He was like, well, me and my fiance are just looking at honeymoon spots. What you up to, man? I was like, well, I'm on the side of the road on fire. No, I'm just kidding. I was like, I'm on the side of the road. Uh, would you mind coming and towing me home? He was like, I'll be right there. I called Lauren, and I was like, hey, Mikey's on his way. She's like, great. Hey, selfishly, um, is my ice cream melted? And I'm like, no, your ice cream's not melted. It's fine. Uh, and so Mikey pulls up, and uh, he tows me to my house. But I just thought of that moment. He's with his fiance, looking at honeymoon destination places of where they're going to go. And I call him at 9 p.m. I'm like, hey, man, I know you're probably done for the night. I know how, what your work week is like. You're exhausted. Um, you've probably, you're probably really tired. I need help. And it wasn't, uh, okay. <laughs> it was, yeah, man, I'll be right there. And I'm not saying this to, sorry, Mikey, your head may not even fit through the door by the time I'm done with this story. That's not why I'm saying this, no. But I'm going to tell you, that was such a good image to me of this message that I prepared for Sunday. I've had a, at a moment's notice. Yeah, you need help? Oh, I'm there. And come to find out, he had towed Jessly. I don't know where she is. We, he towed Jessly last week. She ran out of gas. And long story short, if get Mikey's number after the service, he'll be great. No. But just the heart of a servant. And his fiance last night, whenever your spouse, your fiance, the person closest to you speaks highly of you, it's an amazing thing. Because often, more times than not, you're like, well, my, my husband's a jerk. You know, my, whenever they can speak highly of you, though, and I remember Claire, her, her, his fiance last night, was like, he's such a servant. He does this all the time for people. And it was just this moment of, all right, he gets it. At a moment's notice, he's ready. I'm going to tell you, what if we all looked like that? Of, at a moment's notice, we're ready. We're ready to act. We're ready to help. We're ready to be there. We're ready to not just see the need, but meet the need. Why? Because we have submitted to somebody greater. We have submitted to somebody stronger, wiser, more powerful, capable of healing, capable of changing, someone at the reins of our lives. 
And because he is at the reins, he directs us to, we, we see the hurting, we see those in need, and we will do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. And along the way, we will do anything possible to help them. Oh, how, how different would your community be? In fact, let me say it like this. When you take on the attitude of a servant, God will use you, change you, and he will change the world around you. God will change you for the better. God will, God will change you. He will use you, and he will change the world around you. How did Jesus change the world? Change the possibility for our eternity. He served. He served even unto death, the death on the cross. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was sweating blood because of the, the anxiety and the weight of what he was about to walk through and go through, he said, Father, if there's another way to save them, remove this cup from me. Like he talked about with James and John, remove this death that I'm about to experience. There's got to be another way. And God goes, there's not. And he goes, okay, I'll do it. He submitted because he's a servant. He served. How can we change the world? How can we effectively proclaim the good news of Jesus beyond just proclamation and words? Serving. The same way Jesus has redeemed all of humanity. So too can we change the world. How? By being the great, by being a great entrepreneur, by being a great parent, by being, by being a servant. And when you take on the attitude of a servant, you'll become a great spouse. You'll become a great friend. You'll become a great parent, a great coworker. The New Testament is filled with people who, who we view as heroes. Why? Because they were powerful and lived lives of wealth here on earth? No, because they served. And they served well. Almost every single disciple except one was killed for preaching the gospel. These are our heroes of the faith. There's not many people you read in the New Testament who we view as some of the greatest people to ever walk the planet who didn't die for their faith. But they were servants nonetheless. We serve humbly and willingly why? Not so that we can receive glory, but so that God can. And the greatest human to ever walk the earth had no army, no earthly wealth, no home, never committed a crime. He helped the hurting. He healed the broken. And he served. And he saves. And I'm here to tell you, if you have been saved by God, then you have been called to serve God and people. This is one of our core values here at Harvest, that we would be servants. You want to reach everybody? Serve everybody. Be careful, though. Be careful. It's a dangerous prayer to pray. God, I want you to use me. Three months later, why are you leaving the church? Well, I just felt used. Okay. God, I want to be a bridge between, between the church and the lost. I want to help bring people to you. Three months later, why are you, why are you leaving? Well, I just felt like people were walking all over me. Is that, what, that not what bridges are built for? 
Be careful what you pray. If you pray that you want to be a great servant, oh, God will make you a great servant. But it'll go from you receiving all the glory, all the praise. It will go from you being served to you serving people. And I'm here to tell you that according to heaven's definition of great, that is when you will be great. So if you're serious about following Jesus and you're all in and you're not going to pick and choose passages about what you want to apply to your life, but you want the whole scripture to apply to your life, I'm here to tell you, (coughs) according to the greatness and fullness of scripture, to be great is to be a servant. To be great is to be a servant. So I challenge you this week, find areas to serve. Find places to make a difference. When you see a need, run to the need and help in whatever way you can. We're going to respond in worship and we're just going to respond and proclaim the greatness of our God. And to me, this is the beginning of becoming a servant because being a servant understands that we have a master and that master's name is Jesus. And worship is to me one of the greatest points of surrendering because worship makes us understand that there is a throne. That what do you worship typically? Uh, what, what do you worship? You worship the person on the throne. And whenever you worship, you admit that you're not on that throne, but Jesus is. And so as we respond in worship, as we proclaim the greatness of our God, would you respond in faith? Would you respond in saying, help me to not just admit this now, but believe this on Monday, to live like this on Tuesday, to proclaim this on Wednesday, to help other people see this on Thursday, and to make a difference because I believe you're great on Friday, all the more to come back on Sunday and to get refueled and filled up again with a community of believers. So that way, again, on Monday, we can go out and proclaim the greatness of our God. We can serve people on Tuesday and the, and, the, and the pattern of being a servant will go on for the rest of our lives. Our God will be magnified. People's eternities will forever change because a group of individuals called Harvest Community Church said we will be submissive servants. We will be submissive servants. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Dear God, you're great. You're amazing. You are good. You are magnificent. And God, we are in awe of who you are. Thank you for the fact that, God, you served. And because you served, God, God, you save. And as God, us living out that servant lifestyle and proclaiming the gospel through serving, that you can save others. And God, I pray that that would be our attitude. And for those of us who have not been, who have not had the attitude of a servant in the recent weeks, months, years of our lives. Humble us and help us, lead us and guide us. Take the reins so that we could become more like you. We could become great, a servant. Amen.